Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Local Color, a Baltimore podcast. As always, I am your host, Jason V. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a special guest in the building. This interview is uh, a few weeks in the making. We interviewed or rather uh, uh, spoke with one another before, um, but it was honestly after I had uh, started podcasting again after taking a break. So the uh, end result wasn't the best. So uh, he graciously gave me another chance to interview him. But let me stop talking about uh, him and allow him to introduce himself. What's your name, sir? Uh, hey, Jason. My name is Justin Tucker. Sorry, I'm not the field goal kicker for the Baltimore Ravens. I am another Justin Tucker who also lives in Baltimore. How you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. I had to uh, take care of a few things uh, earlier today. Uh, happy to get those done. And the rest of the day is mine to just relax. So I'm excited about that. You mentioned that you're from Baltimore. What part of Baltimore are you from? Uh, I actually live in Baltimore County in the Woodlawn uh, community. I see. Have you lived there all your life? Yeah, my parents uh, bought the house that we currently live in when I was two years old, so I've been here my entire life. Do you have any siblings? Yeah, I have one younger brother. Uh, I'm 29 years old. He is turning 27 this year. Uh, yeah, he also lives at home with my parents and I, so we're all one big happy family, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A follow-up question. You've lived in Woodlawn your entire life. Have you noticed that community and that area change over the years? I always hear rumors that like Woodlawn is where they're going to be pushing, you know, people from the city out to. Uh, have you seen anything like that or has Woodlawn always just kind of been Woodlawn? Um, as far as I know, well, from what I understand, that's sort of been happening for, for years now. Um, I can remember conversations back when I was in middle school going into high school about people being moved from the city into my neighborhood. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how accurate that is, but in terms of the community changing over the years, uh, I've definitely sensed that Woodlawn doesn't receive a whole lot of love and attention as opposed to looking at areas like Towson or Columbia and Howard County. It sort of seems like Woodlawn is sort of a forgotten about or almost an afterthought from my perspective at least mm -hmm. do you think that sometimes that could be kind of an advantage because if people are kind of thinking or not thinking about it or overlooking it then things can kind of stay the same housing prices can stay generally the same or do you feel like it's to the point where woodlawn has been kind of neglected i would lean more so on the side of neglect whereas there is income in this community. There are people who make a decent amount of money and they want to spend it. They want to have places where they feel comfortable going to shop without having to travel uh, super far away. So I, I think there's a lot of opportunity to really revamp the, the area. Um, we can start with Security Square Mall because that place is just a dump and I would love to see that turn into an actual shopping center again, but uh, that's just one of my little gripes. Oh yeah, um, I lived in Owings Mills for most of my life and just watching the life cycle of Owings Mills Mall go from, you know, the premier spot for uh, young 
kids and, and teenagers and even adults to go uh, on the weeknights and over the weekend to uh, it kind of dying and then it coming back as I, I really don't know what is over there now, but I, I can um, empathize with uh, with that sentiment. Uh, so you've been kind of talking around it. Um, and that's not a bad thing, even though talking around sounds like a bad thing. But um, what was growing up like for you in Woodlawn? And, and you mentioned uh, those plans for Woodlawn when you were in middle school and high school. Uh, so tell me, what was growing up like and what was school like for you? Um, I feel like I had a pretty standard upbringing. I mean, I was basically a good kid who followed directions, uh, got pretty good grades in school, and I stayed out of trouble. Uh, I had my group of friends growing up who I stayed pretty close to, uh, but I was also sort of uh, shy and introverted, so I didn't open up to many people outside of my friend group. Uh, but yeah, my, my family was a pretty active family and we were heavily involved in sports. So from the time I was six years old all the way through graduating high school, uh, my brother and I played basketball, baseball, football, ran track, pretty much 365 days a year. So we were one of those families that was just constantly on the go. And that's basically what I remember growing up. And I mean, I enjoyed it. We're playing sports, your first exposure to the outdoors type lifestyle. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, if we weren't playing for an actual team in like a recreation program or for a school, uh, some of the neighborhood kids would get together and we would just uh, put together some pickup games. Uh, that's basically what we did. Gotcha. Okay. And what was high school like for you and what did you do after you graduated? Um, high school, again, I feel like I was just a normal uh, teenager. Uh, I played sports in high school, specifically basketball and baseball. Those were the two sports that I ended up gravitating to the most. Um, I had my friend group from high school, which actually we all met in middle school and we're all still the same friend group to this day. Uh, so we hung out when I wasn't like busy with sports and in high school is when we all got our first jobs. So it was sort of a balancing act between uh, schooling, working, uh, spending time with each other, and uh, sports. After high school, what did you do? Um, so I decided that I wanted to leave Baltimore and go away to college. So I ended up going to North Carolina A&T State University, which is an HBCU in North Carolina. Um, I spent about three semesters there, and I have to be honest, I did not do a stellar job academically <laughs> while I was there. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of my, my first experience being away from home, and, you know, I was feeling a little grown and having a little freedom, so I, I did my thing. So I did not last long there, but I definitely had a good time while I was there. After that, I ended up moving back to... Maryland, and I went to CCBC Catonsville, uh, spent a few semesters there, and then transferred over to UMBC, and I ended up graduating from there with a bachelor's in communications. Can you talk about the first experience that got you into the actual outdoors lifestyle and trail walking? Um, I know that 
as you say, you, you played a lot of sports, but uh, b- baseball and basketball or, or other sports that you might have played for school, it's kind of different from, I guess, trail walking. And like I said, the out- outdoors lifestyle. And also, is there like another catch all term that I could use or is outdoorsy just, you know, good enough? Um, I tend to use the term outdoorsy. Like I consider myself an outdoor enthusiast. That's something else I might say. Uh, but basically, uh, growing up outside of playing sports, you would pretty much never find me like on a trail or anything. Uh, my family wasn't one of those families that ventured out into the woods. So we stayed away from that and left it for the people who liked doing those kinds of things. Um, after I graduated college, I ended up moving to New York City to work in the fashion industry. And I was living there and working there for about five years. And towards the latter half of my career in New York, I felt the need to do something different. Um, You know, I just um, ended a relationship and a friend of mine who I met in New York had just uh, taken his own life. And I was in the lowest point that I had ever been in my life at that time. And this was back in like 2017, going into 2018. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I needed to just get away from everything, get away from everyone who I was sort of hanging out with. Uh, The fashion industry is very intense and I felt like I needed to escape from that. So I just sort of uh, picked up a magazine one day and I saw this article about someone who had taken a trip to Iceland with a few of their friends. And they were talking about the experience of being there and hiking through the terrain and stumbling upon these like geothermal pools that they could soak in. And I was just really fascinated by that. So that became the thing that I felt like I needed to do at the time. So on a whim, I just sort of bought a round trip ticket to Iceland and Around this time, Wow Air was still in business. So I was able to <laughs> round trip tickets for like $250 total. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to Iceland. And, you know, this was my first real experience leaving the country outside of like a couple vacations to Mexico and the Dominican Republic with my family. Um, and it was also the first time like really traveling by myself. So I fly to Iceland, I'm there for a week, I rent a car, and I had never experienced that level of freedom before where I was just going wherever I wanted. I had made a list of uh, points of interest that I really wanted to check out. And so I was just driving all through the day and night and just knocking off points, seeing waterfalls and black sand beaches and hiking these beautiful trails. And I took this trip uh, around the end of May, 2018. And during that time, during the the summer season, it's 24 hours of daylight in Iceland. So like I just kept going and I didn't stop for that entire week until it was time to, to get back on the plane and go back to New York City. And that was basically my introduction to the outdoors and once I got a taste of it, I knew right away that this was something that I wanted to continue to do. So 
I came back to New York City, bought a pair of hiking shoes, and every weekend after that, I was taking the train upstate and just checking out different trails in the area, and I sort of became a hiker from there. As far as your first outdoor slash hiking experience, it being a completely different country and culture across the ocean, I'm sure that was just completely mind-blowing for you. Do you feel like that experience in Iceland was kind of like a moment of clarity for you? And then also, what was your experience like as a Black person in Iceland? Like, was the, like, like how were you... I guess, received, and how did you perceive the culture? Uh, well, I'll start by saying I was very nervous about leaving the country by myself as a Black person and going to some place like Iceland. Like, when you think about the different places that Black people love to travel, I don't think Iceland is the first place that <laughs> comes to mind because, I mean, it's kind of cold there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I was a little nervous about how I would be received. Uh, not only am I black and a gay man, but I'm also covered in tattoos. So those are sort of things that I can't really hide too well. So I'm always a little uh, anxious as far as how people will look at me, how they will respond to me, whether I will be treated uh, with kindness or with I guess, but uh, I was surprised that everyone was super nice. Uh, they do speak uh, English in Iceland, although it's not their native language. I felt very welcomed by everyone who I came across. Uh, I stayed in a couple hostels where I met other uh, solo travelers from other countries like Germany and Switzerland, and we all sort of uh, connected during our time in the hostels, and that was a really cool experience. Uh, so I was glad that I went at the end of the day. And actually, could you remind me of what the other part of your question was? Was that trip to Iceland like a moment of clarity for you? Like a, it allowed you to have this major turning point in your life? Oh, yeah, totally. That trip completely changed my life altogether. It's, it's funny because I was, I was working in the fashion industry before I went and I packed a lot of fashion-y clothes because I didn't know what exactly I was going to be getting into when I got out there. And when I came back, it was sort of like, yeah, none of this stuff really matters to me anymore. I don't know why I'm spending thousands of dollars on clothes. Like, I'd rather have more experiences. So I started selling <laughs> everything in my closet and just like going to thrift shops and buying cheap stuff that I can just throw on. And everyone who I was sort of uh, working with in the industry and all my colleagues were sort of looking at me like, what, what in the world has gotten into you? Like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, hey, I think the things that I value have sort of changed and I'm just riding the wave. And so I just sort of went with it. Oh man, that's great. You also bring up something that I do want to talk to you about now that we're transitioning into your, um, uh, your outdoor enthusiasm when you're on the trails and, and like out kayaking or riding bikes or anything like that, obviously you want to wear clothes that are functional and efficient. They're like sweat wicking and all that stuff. But I get the yeah. feeling that it's also kind of a fashion show to see who's like got the most like put together or like cleanest gear. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, I would definitely say there is this intersection between the fashion industry and the outdoor industry. Uh, someone like me who still appreciates aesthetics, uh, I not only want gear that works well and functions the way that it's supposed to, but if it also looks good, like that makes me more excited to use it and that makes me more excited to go out and you know, people sort of, uh, I can't think of the word when you like come across someone new and you sort of look them up and down and you start dissecting uh, either what they're wearing or when you're out on the trail, people will dissect what gear you're carrying and they'll start asking questions about specific gear. So I'm always proud to uh, be able to talk about the gear that I uh, have because I did my research on what I feel I need to uh, keep myself safe. And I also uh, study brands. I study uh, innovators and just companies that are moving the needle forward. So there's definitely that intersection there and I definitely take to it 100%. Gotcha, okay. I want to talk about your social media handle and I think it's also for your email. Um, it's called Trailhead Justin. What's a trailhead? Um, so the trailhead is usually the starting point of a hiking or biking trail. Uh, so if you decide you want to go hiking, you find some place where you want to go hike, uh, you park, pull into the parking lot, and there's usually a sign right at the beginning of the trail, and the sign will uh, provide tons of information about how to stay safe while you're hiking and how to recreate responsibly. And oftentimes it'll also provide a map of the different trails in the area that you could possibly touch if you so choose. Uh, so that uh, starting point at the beginning of a hike is termed the trailhead. Getting back to what I was saying before about um like fashion and clothes and just overall like the outdoor enthusiast archetype or avatar i'm sure when people think the great outdoors it's like a white guy or white woman uh, in some patagonia and some funny looking shoes and i don't i don't want black people to think that uh patagonia is is you know just for white people i have a patagonia pullover and that thing is amazing um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are minority communities represented in the outdoor community a lot? And do you find that um, people of color support one each uh, support one another? So not just black people supporting other black people, but like black people supporting Asian, supporting Latino, uh, so on and so forth. In recent years, I've definitely been seeing more of an effort to highlight and amplify BIPOC individuals in the outdoor space. Uh, I think there could definitely be more effort to uh, produce more representation and to highlight more people of color in these spaces. But, you know, the industry has looked one way and honestly, it's been one way for so long that this sort of change isn't necessarily going to happen overnight in a major way. But uh, we are out here. And to answer the other part of your question, from what I see, yes, we do all sort of support each other. Uh, we understand that the industry has looked a certain way for so long and that there have been so many issues within the industry from a, a racial perspective, from an 
ethnic perspective, from a land acknowledgement perspective. And so what I see are black communities, Latinx communities, Asian communities, all coming together and claiming space within the outdoor community and within the outdoor industry. And I see people supporting one another. I see people lifting each other up. I see people making connections. And I think it's a beautiful thing and it definitely needs to continue. Can you repeat what you said about uh, just like land? Did you say it was like land respect or, or what, what was that called again? Land acknowledgement. Land acknowledgement. Okay. And then I'm assuming that is acknowledging that the land that many of these trails run through or are based in are is First Nations land, correct? Yeah, stolen land. When I was doing more research on this, I was looking at you and looking at some other outdoor nature influencers, and they kind of ran the gamut. Like I, I, I saw white ones, Asian ones, uh, black ones. Um, and I've also, or I also saw that a lot of them would often have packs or gear given to them by companies like, um, of course, Black Patagonia, uh, North Face, uh, Nalgene. Um, I, I have a Nalgene water bottle. It's great. Has that ever happened to you? And um, if so, what is the roadmap for somebody to get like a sponsorship or, or get just get free gear? Um, yeah, I have been offered some gear here and there. Uh, a lot of times I will politely decline because I don't really need free stuff. I would rather accept a form of monetary compensation as opposed to free stuff. Uh, so yes, it has been offered to me. If it's a piece of gear that I definitely need and don't have and don't spend the money on, or if it's a piece of gear that I do have that's pretty worn down and that I need to replace. Uh, in those situations, I might occasionally accept free gear that's offered. But a lot of times, these companies are offering you free gear in exchange for something. So they'll say, hey, we'll send you a free backpack if you contribute uh, one feed posts and three stories on Instagram. I can do that, but that's work and time and energy and resources that I'm gonna have to utilize in order to do that. So paying me with free gear isn't really cutting it. So uh, I'm actually moving into a space now where I am starting to demand some form of uh, monetary compensation if a brand wants me to do anything for them and if they can't provide that then I'm sorry there are plenty of other people who I'm sure would be willing to accept free gear I don't really know if there's like a method or a formula I guess if I could say anything it would be to showcase yourself doing the thing that you want to do consistently and I guess if brands see that and if they see that you have some level of engagement, they might be more willing to work with you. But if social media is sort of the thing that people want to do, I also encourage anyone to like take the first step and reach out to brands that they really want to uh, get those partnerships and sponsorships. Like just say, hey, this is what I'm doing. I would love to work with you. And I mean, the worst thing they can say is no. But again, that's if this is something you really want to do. Like, 
don't wait for them to determine whether you're good enough or not. Go ahead and reach out to them if you feel like you have something that isn't already being showcased. How do those companies respond when you say to them like, hey, thanks, but no thanks. If you know, you're not going to pay me for my time and uh, ac- uh, pay me for my access, you know, no, yeah, no thanks. How do they respond to that? Um, I mean, a lot of times they'll probably just say, okay, thanks anyway. And they'll just move on because if I'm saying no, they're likely to find someone who will say yes uh, and more power to them if that's how they want to go about it. But uh, sometimes, on the other hand, they may come back and say, well, okay, let's see what we can discuss. And so then you sort of have to put your business hat on or your negotiator hat, which I'm not really good at either of those. (laughs) So I'm, I'm still learning how all of this works, but yeah, I've put together uh, an Excel sheet listing like some rates to start off with because I didn't really have any rates. And if you don't really have rates, brands are just going to throw a really low number at you, especially if you're a person of color. And you either accept it or you learn how to negotiate it or you establish what your rate is going to be up front. And if you establish what your rate is going to be, you either stick to it or you accept what's offered to you. I haven't been met with like nasty responses if I say no. It's just like, okay, thanks anyway. Um, Again, as I was doing my research for uh, this interview, um, I also read up on just the culture and stuff behind trail walking and the outdoor lifestyle. And I learned about something called a segregated trail. And that's a designated trail for a specific or exclusive type of use. So uh, you can only bike on this trail or you can only ride horses on this trail, or, you know, maybe the trail is like just for walking as someone who is like deeply entrenched into the culture uh, of, of like the outdoors and stuff like that. Does it burn you up inside when you see people misusing a trail? Uh, I guess what burns me up inside is when I see people mistreating a trail. Uh, so there is this popular or this growing organization called Leave No Trace, which pretty much uh, urges people to uh, think about these seven principles when they're going out into a natural setting, which is pretty much when you enter uh, a natural environment or a wilderness area, you should pretty much take out everything you bring in. So any trash that you have, you should pack it out with you. Um, if you move a few rocks to make a little fire pit, like when you're ready to leave that campsite, you should put those rocks back where you found them and it should look like a fire pit was never there. Um, nowadays with uh, the pandemic, you'll find a lot of masks that people just drop on the trails. So that's the kind of stuff that like really burns me up. And I remember I went out just to uh, pick up trash on a trail right around the corner from my house. And believe it or not, I ended up coming across a child's diaper with oh my God. fecal matter in it. And it pissed me off, one, because someone left it, and two, because I was the only person there 
with the intention of like picking up trash. So I ended up like putting some gloves on, picking it up and like carrying it out with me. And I had to like put it in the back of my car until I could get to a dumpster or whatever. And it was just like, well now why would you leave something like that? Like on the ground next to a stream, like that's disgusting. Yeah, exactly. And you're having to take on the burden of being the actual adult and responsible person when you know damn well, like they, that, that the diaper is connected to a baby that has two parents that could have just as easily yeah, that's like, thrown I that away. Have, I don't have kids. So why am I picking <laughs> up your smelly diaper like that? doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, I appreciate you mentioning the concept of, uh, of leave no trace. Cause that's something that I also uh, looked into. Um, does that also apply to horses and animals? Like if you bring your dog out or you're riding a horse, do you have to clean up after them? I mean, I think if you have a dog for the most part, as far as I know, they should be on a leash at all times when on a trail, uh, I know a lot of times people will take their dogs off the leash if they feel like their dogs are well-behaved. I always prefer dogs on a leash, but I don't have a dog, so I just sort of mind my business with that. Um, if your animal does use the restroom, I think it should be picked up. Um, horses, I don't know if I would want to pick up any <laughs> horse and I've been on trails with horses and they sort of use the bathroom so much while they're walking that I don't know if you could like keep stopping and getting off the horse to pick it up but I don't know <laughs> gotcha gotcha that's just like one question that I was thinking of um can you talk about all of the places that you've traveled and the trails that you've walked even if you just want to give like a general list um, and also, can you talk a, a bit about the cultural and regional differences in the trail? Does like a trail on the East Coast walk or feel differently than a trail somewhere else in the USA or even say in Iceland? I mentioned that I went to Iceland back in 2018. Um, I also went to France in 2018. Uh, I made a little stop in Paris for like 24 hours. And then I decided to venture out into the countryside where I did a little hiking, backpacking, um, I've also made a few trips to the Pacific West Coast, so uh, Oregon and Washington State. I've done a little bit of backpacking out there. Um, all up and down the East Coast, I've pretty much hit trails all over. And uh, most recently, I actually went on a trip out to uh, Utah and Colorado. I actually went out there to, to do a river rafting trip, but uh, I was able to squeeze in a couple of hikes while I was out there as well. Uh, I think that's pretty much the gist of where I've gone and where I've hiked. In terms of differences in the trail, I would say major differences you might find are in the, the type of terrain you're walking on. Uh, like specifically here on the East Coast, a lot of the trails are very rocky. And if you're hiking up a mountain, it might also be a pretty steep incline. Whereas if you head out to the Pacific Northwest, the trails are a lot smoother, a lot flatter, a lot easier to walk on. And rather than just going straight up a mountain, you'll have to make your way up these switchbacks, which is where the trail sort of winds back and forth, gradually making its way up to the top of a mountain or to a viewpoint or something like that. Um, 
there are also different uh, natural features and landscapes that you can discover. Like Iceland is a place unlike anything I've ever seen before. Uh, the Pacific Northwest, like Washington State, has a ton of waterfalls. Uh, same with Oregon. Um, if you're in the desert, that's going to look a little different than if you're in a forest. So it just depends on where you are. Um, as far as the trail culture, I think that depends on the people who you find out on the trail. And from my experience, the culture has always sort of been the same wherever I am. Like everyone who's on the trail often tends to share that same love for the trail. Those of us who are really invested in like outdoor exploration, we care about the lands that we're uh, recreating on. Uh, we do our best to keep ourselves and to help keep each other safe. Uh, the outdoor community is actually a very helpful community. Uh, and that's something that I really appreciate about it. I know this wasn't a question that I sent over to you, but what actually, I guess that kind of rolls into my last questions. So I'll say this, we're going to start wrapping up here. Um, and I always ask these two questions of my guests first what's coming up next for you and kind of the, the the route i wanted to take is like what's going to be your next big outdoor adventure and then how can people get in contact with you if they want to learn more okay so my next big adventure is actually coming up in about six months uh so in february 2022 i'm going to be setting off on the appalachian appalachian trail uh, some people say Appalachian Trail. I don't think it really matters, but it's basically a long distance national scenic trail, which starts in Georgia, goes all the way up to Maine. It covers 2,193 miles and crosses through 13 different states, Maryland being one of them. Uh, so I'm going to be hiking that entire thing in a five to six month stretch starting in February next year. Uh, so I'm Super excited about that. I've been loosely planning this trip for the last three or so years, and next year is finally going to be the year. So I can't wait to get out there. Um, in the meantime, between now and then, I'm sort of going to be taking some smaller micro adventures, doing some uh, day hikes and some shorter multi-day backpacking trips just to sort of train for that big hike. So uh, one of the things I plan to do in October, I'm gonna go up to Pennsylvania and hike this trail called the Loyal Sock Trail, which is about 60 miles total. And I'll probably do that over five days. And I think that'll help prepare me for what I'm going to experience spending five months on the Appalachian Trail next year. Um, in terms of how people can reach me, uh, I'm on Instagram at Trailhead Justin. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook if you search Justin Tucker or Trailhead Justin. Um, I have a YouTube channel, which I recently started a few months ago, where I sort of am documenting all of my hikes and outdoor uh, trips. So you can search Trailhead Justin on YouTube. And if you want to email me about anything, that's trailheadjustin at gmail.com. And I may decide to host a few like small hikes in the Baltimore area. Uh, if I do, I will be posting about that soon and people will be able to email me if they want to tag along. So I hope to get some people out there with me. 
Awesome. That's great. Well, Mr. Justin Tucker, um, <laughs> thanks so much for the opportunity to interview you. Uh, before we sign off, is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't already gone over? Um, I just want to encourage anyone out there to find their own adventure, whatever it may be. Uh, unfortunately for me, or maybe it's fortunately for me, uh, it took entering a really dark time in my life to really discover all that the world has to offer. And, but it doesn't have to be the same for everyone. Uh, if you feel like you want to go out on a hike but don't want to do anything like major or too strenuous, I'm sure there are some trails in your area that you can find that you can start small. Uh, walking through a local park is just the same as hiking on a trail. Uh, so yeah, find whatever interests you and just go for it. Awesome. Trailhead Justin, Justin Tucker, thank you so much for the opportunity to interview you. Yes, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you and maybe I'll get you out on a trail one day. <laughs> I, I won't lie. I've gone to um the NCR a few times. Um, I've gone okay. to um, uh, Soldier's Delight up in Baltimore County. I, I used to go there a lot when I was a kid. Uh, Serpentine Trail, you know, that's like my claim to fame. Um, nice. I, I don't know if I'll ever get to the level that you're at with the Appalachian Trail <laughs> or anything. Um, actually, uh, to be quite honest, a... Um, a spot that I really do want to go to is uh, uh, Great Falls or, or Shenandoah. I have never been there, but I hear it's very beautiful. And I would love to like go to, what is it, uh, Sugarloaf Mountain or Old Rag? Yeah, I was definitely going to recommend Shenandoah if you hadn't been down there. Uh, I will say Old Rag has a reputation for being one of the most challenging day hikes in Virginia. Uh, I did it last year, and I just thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, there are some technical aspects to that trail once you get towards the uh, the peak or the top of the mountain, but once you get up there, the views are amazing. So I definitely recommend it. Awesome. Okay. I'll definitely put that on my list. I'll see if I can uh, trick my wife into going out there with me. But um, <laughs> <laughs> thank, thanks so much for the opportunity, man. You have a good day. Of course. Thank you again. And same to you. <laughs>